Welcome to Continued, part of the teaching ministry here at Third Baptist Church. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and our aim in this time is to dig deeper from the sermon on Sunday morning, digging deeper into the text, uh, into exegetical issues, historical issues, contextual issues, whatever issues come up that we feel ought to be chased down a little bit further. My name is Adam. I'm also one of the pastors, and Keith and I are going to be having this conversation. So welcome to Continued. The point is not, okay, the New Testament is going to highlight, you know, Jesus pulled out the ones that he knew would have grit, the ones he knew were hard, you know, tough guys that would stand up for him. It's, it's the opposite. Then we see, and Luke's making this crystal clear, who is the bold one? It is the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Continued. As Keith and I are looking into Acts chapter 4 today, I think you are going to hear some encouraging, powerful statements from from God's Word directly that just connect with all of us. Um, Keith, I, I appreciate you preaching on this text. When, in Acts chapter 4, Peter is, is representing to the, the religious leaders of his day what has just happened in the previous chapter, Acts chapter 3, where uh, a lame man was healed. And, and really, Peter and John are on trial you know, the, the old phrase, no good deed goes unpunished, kind of fits in well here. Um, they, they are on trial for doing something good. Um, but in doing that, they have upset the, the power structure, haven't they? So give us a little more context about what Peter is saying and, and, uh, and how we can really be encouraged by this today. Yeah, this, this is such an incredible moment in the birth of the church, really in all of salvation history. Because up to this point, obviously Jesus has faced the highest religious authorities and they condemned him. But this is the first time that his followers, in the power of the Holy Spirit, have faced the highest levels of Jewish leadership. And that's very expressly mentioned in the text, that Peter, full of the Spirit, is speaking. It's mentioned when he's doing his sermons, but now... That phrase is thrown in there when he's defending his actions. It is, yeah. And, and you know, you, Luke is very intentional here, you know, first of all, to show us the power of the Spirit, but also this is the Spirit filling Peter, who just a few months ago was, was you know, putting a curse upon himself in front of a, of a, of a, of a servant girl when she just she asked, aren't you one of him? You, you speak like a Galilean. I neither know nor understand what you're saying. Be gone from me. Yeah, this is at the crucifixion at the crucifixion, of Jesus. At the, at the trial of Jesus, yes. And then, and then here he is, full of the Holy Spirit, yeah. rebuking <laughs> the, the, the highest levels of Jewish authority. We just, it's hard for us to understand this scene. This is a this is a, a lowly fisherman standing in front of um, the the you know the highest levels the the rich the wealthy the high priests the Sanhedrin hundreds of those the Sadducees who were the, the the wealthy the the influential the the ones with the robes the one who had the ones who had the Torah memorized and and what's what's so incredibly powerful and interesting about this moment is they've put Peter and John on trial 
you know, and he sort of responds, like you said, Adam, with, with sort of this, it's, it almost seems a little sarcastic. Hey, if you've put us on trial for doing a good thing to a man, guilty. If you've done it furthermore, because we did it in the name of Jesus, also guilty. The, you, you wanted a name? By what, by what power or what name have you done this? I'll give you a name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Notice the three-tier, uh, the multifaceted name of Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth, whom you know. You know who I'm talking about. Not only Jesus Nazareth, but Jesus Messiah of Nazareth. This Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. God is raised. Pretty pointed accusation. Very... Yes. Very bold statement yeah. right there. And then he says, furthermore, this Jesus is the stone that the foolish builders rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. So what he's saying is, you did this, and now you are the foolish builders. The trial, <laughs> they put Peter on trial, but he's turning around saying, I may be on your trial, but you're on God's trial. Yeah. You referenced the foolish builders, and that's a, a throwback to an Old Testament passage. What is the context? What is the meaning of the foolish builder accusation that Peter's throwing at these leaders. Psalm 118, which, uh, you know, Jesus references this, this particular passage in his own ministry. He's, you know, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Then he, then he says, uh, this, this is a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. If this stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. Um, so he's finding himself to be the fulfillment of this passage. Psalm 118, what is this, though? The writer of this psalm is uh, he, he's, he's discussing the, the condition of the nation of Israel. The nations have come upon God and his people. The nations have rejected all the other nations in the world, not God's chosen yeah, people. Yes, those nations who have rejected God, and they have come against God's people, but God delivered them. The stone that the builders rejected, this would be the nations, all the nations. The, the, the nations were these foolish builders. The nations, in Psalm 118, the original yes. context, the nations were the foolish builders, but this stone, this, you know, God himself, the one true God has become the cornerstone, and he has crushed, you know, his enemies. But... As we get to the New Testament in a tragic turn of events, the foolish builders are no longer the nations. It's God's own people are the foolish builders who rejected the stone, who is the Christ. And that Christ, the stone, has become the cornerstone. And Jesus says, if this stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. Wow. And so Peter, by, by referencing this, he is, he is slapping them in the face. He's saying, you are, you are just as bad as the pagan nations in the Old Testament. You have rejected God's, God's Messiah. You have rejected God's ways. You are far from God. You're in direct wow. opposition. Wow. Direct opposition. So Peter, by doing this, I think we could say Peter is putting his life on the line with his bold statements. I mean, this same group had Jesus killed. Yes. And now Peter, he is laying it out no, no holds bars. He's not pulling any punches, and uh, and I bet you there is a, a serious risk for Peter's life. Mm-hmm. There is, and he knows it. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, um, and and, but- and that just that highlights this amazing transformation that Peter has gone through. That just months earlier he was scared of a servant girl, and now after encountering the resurrected Jesus accepting the forgiveness of Jesus, the restoration of Jesus, this bold Peter, this new creation is is speaking to the, the leadership of the nation. Yeah. Wow. 
That's right. And this is so encouraging for us, Adam, because what, here's, what we, here's what we need to deconstruct in, in, our, in our Christian living, in our, in our reading of the Bible, that Peter is a superhero. This guy is the, you know, he's, he's one of the pillars. Um, this, the strength in this guy is just, I could never even imagine, oh my goodness, I'd fall at Peter's feet if I saw him. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, the point is, he's, he's just a normal guy. Not only is he a normal guy, but outside of the power of the Spirit, he, he ran and fled like a coward. And he, he what? And, and, and we all raise our hands and say, so would we apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. The point is not, okay, the New Testament is going to highlight, you know, Jesus pulled out the ones that he knew would have grit. The ones he knew were hard, you know, yeah. tough guys that would stand up for him. It's, it's the opposite. Not at all. He, That's he, not he, what happens. And we see that exposed. Yeah. But then we see, and Luke's making this crystal clear, who is the bold one? It is the Holy Spirit in Peter. Mm-hmm. So you, you introduce this idea that God uses the ordinary person, the unqualified person. But, but let's back up a little bit. Let's look at this from a, a holistic perspective, the biblical worldview. How... Is this a pattern that has continued from the beginning, or is this something new that God is doing in the New Testament? Yeah, you know, the, the, the ordinary nature of the, of the apostles is, is, is highlighted, and, the, and it's clearly seen in the New Testament. But this is not something new, you know, right. that God, God just decided, okay, in the New Covenant, I'm going to use ordinary people. No, this is his pattern from the very beginning. And, and it's funny, if, I, if we were to ask, you know, uh, the folks who've been studying the Bible a while, na- name some people in the Old Testament. Who are the heroes? Who are the, who heroes? Are the giants? They would name the ones whom the Bible is clear about their weaknesses. And the, me, you, you want me to do this? And then, so the 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 primary one, the, the first, I mean, they're, they're all, by the way, you know, Abra- you go back to Abraham, just an ordinary, common man, no power, no prestige, no wealth, no land, but what does God promise him? You'll have all this and your descendants will. But then you get to the hero of the Old Testament to, to, the, to the Jewish people, and that's, and that's Moses. Moses, the lawgiver. The, yeah, the, the, the law of Moses, this man of God, this one who saw God face to face. Surely God chose the cream of the crop to, to bring out his people from Egypt, the most powerful country in all of the world, right? Surely. But that's not the case, and we know this. We, we know the scene of the burning bush where Moses, you know, he was raised uh, in, in, in an Egyptian's home. Uh, the daughter of Pharaoh raises yeah, royalty. Him. Yes, that's true. He so. Was, yeah. So, but he's in a different phase of life. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, yeah. A, he's a refugee. Um, um, or, or, or an exile. He's in, he's in exile uh, because he he killed a guy. Right? Um, he 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 saw you know an Egyptian mistreating one of his own people. You can you know his heart is welling up within him. So he strikes down this Egyptian. He's killed. Word gets around, so he flees. He buries him. He's trying to accomplish God's goal, but in his own power, and it just goes all wrong. And so he runs away. In fact. For forty years, am I right? It's forty years. Yeah. He's just he's just a shepherd yeah. in the wilderness, probably wearing raggedy clothes. Yeah. You know, forty years is a long time Wor- working for his father-in-law. I mean, yeah. no man of of great repute or, or or stature or status. He he gave it all up. Yeah, he did. 
He did. He settled for the ordinary, common life. I'll just be a a sheep herder. And then the burning bush, right? He sees this bush that's on fire, this this tree, but it's not being consumed. And we know who that is. It's it's the it's the holy one. It's the Lord. And he's and he's and he's saying, I. This is in Exodus three. I'm calling you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses responds, well, you have chosen the cream of the crop. I'm glad you chose me. I'm ready to go right now. Is that what he says? Not at all. Not at all. What does he say in verse 11 of chapter 3? He says, but Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then God answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I'm the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Isn't it great that the the response of God to Moses' question, Moses' question is, who am I? And God says, you've got that wrong. It's not who you are. It's the fact that I am with you. Yes, I am with you. That is the, it's, it, it's the New Testament as well. The Holy Spirit filled Peter. Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age, and he is in with and in Peter in this moment. And then furthermore than that, this isn't the only objection that, that you know, who am I? Um, he also says, wait, wait a minute, you want me to go talk to the ruler of the known world? You want me to go and command him to do this? I, you know me, God. I, I don't have... I don't have, I stutter. You know, I, I can't speak very well, especially when the pressure's on. You expect me to do this boldly? And, and, and what's God's response? Who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Um, and, then, and then, of course, he makes provision. Okay, Aaron is going to be the, spokes, the spokesperson for you, but you're going to go together, and, and I've called you to do this, and I will be with you, you common man, right? Moses was a regular guy. And if you look at the other great heroes in the Old Testament, you know, I, I immediately think of David. You know, King David, the greatest king there ever has been. You know, his throne is, is a foreshadowing of the reign of the Messiah. Um, and yet, who is David? He's, he's the youngest brother of the sons of Jesse. He's the last choice. The, last, the one that when, when Samuel comes to anoint the king, he brings out all the brothers and, and nope, nope, it's not this one. No, not that tall, handsome one. Not the ones that look strong or, or, or fit to be a king. And, and Samuel's like, what, is there anyone else? I didn't get this wrong. It's your family, Jesse. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, there's, there's little Dave. Dave out yeah. in, the, in, in the field. Yeah, but you, <laughs> we didn't bring not. him for a reason. I mean, yeah. you, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> surely not him. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the chosen man of God. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not because of what David is bringing to the table. It's because he has a heart after God's own heart, because he depends on, on the Spirit's power, God working through him. Yeah. And, you know, you see that in his uh, conflict with Goliath. You see that in his, uh, his, his reign. I mean, he's definitely not perfect. Yeah. We, we see that as well, that he, he fails in, in significant ways, but he comes back for forgiveness. Yeah. Um, you know, at that, just thinking about that, just thinking about Peter, you know, the, the heroes of our faith are... Are, are people that mess up yes. and and fail just like we do yes. because they are ordinary people as well. It is not about the person. It's about God. Yeah. I, I love this phrase, um, 
that I had a mentor tell me um, a long time ago. He said, the Bible is the only religious book that exposes its heroes. I mean, you think about that. Of all the heroes, there's only a select few that it doesn't outline a specific sin in their life. Joseph would be one of those. But of course, we know that Joseph wasn't sinless. Um, but, but, you know, you look at all the big names of the Bible, and what does the Bible do? It exposes them. Um, it, 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 it pulls shows, no punches on, yeah. on, these, uh, on these men had wicked moments. Up front with their flaws. Yeah, yeah. And, and why is that the case? Well, it's because they're not heroes. There's one hero. They are not the main character in yeah. this story. Yeah, that's right. And so that is huge encouragement for us. For 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 when we when we live this life, this life in Christ, yet we feel ill-equipped, we feel inadequate, we sinned last week. Um, how could God ever use me with with my past or what I struggle with today? You know, this this besetting sin that keeps trying to overtake me. How could God ever use me? Well, just read the word. <laughs> read, read, read into the lives of, of these characters of, of the Old and the New Testament and find great encouragement that it's, not, that it's not you doing it. It's God doing it through you. And, and he uses the ordinary. He uses the weak for his glory. Right. Talking about exposing the heroes of the faith, the Bible, I think this is also a, just a, as a side note, a, a evidence of the authenticity of the Word of God that this is not how you write mythology. You know, when you write a mythology, your hero is is flawless. Your hero is is perfect, or or at least you hold them up. And and that's the word of God is not written as a mythology. It's written as narrative. It's written as history. It's written as real life. Yeah. Because these are real life people. Nitty gritty. Real mm-hmm. life. Yeah. yeah. With with mistakes and flaws and um, you know making bonehead choices at times, but, but coming back to God yes. and, and relying on him to, to be the, the real hero of the story. Yes. You know, one of the, in, in this conversation, one of, one of the Old Testament characters that gets neglected in this conversation is Gideon. The judge Gideon in Judges chapter six. Oh, I just think of him as like the the conquering hero, the warrior, right? Oh yeah, the valiant warrior. That's right. But which, but here, here's what's interesting. That's about what his the call. angel calls him. That's what the oh. angel calls him. This is so <laughs> is so interesting. You know, man, it's such encouragement. If you know, we feel weak, we feel unable. L- listen to the call of Gideon in Judges chapter six. I, I encourage you to, to pick up your Bible and read and read the whole story. I mean, really, the whole you know book of Judges is is God, you know, God using um, those those who are weak and, and ill-equipped to, to lead a nation. Yet you have the nation that's doing their own thing. It's it's a really a tough time, but God's still raising up people, you know, to lead His people. Listen to Judges 6, starting in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Orphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. This is just a normal man, you know, uh, under under siege from from the Midianites, trying to how you know like, make protect sure himself. we're going to have some food. Make yeah. sure we have what we need. Exactly. No military background. Um, you know, no, no reason to think this is, this, is a, this is a strong and mighty man. Listen to what the angel says, verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. 
<laughs> he had to be thinking, you've got the wrong guy. Like, you know? Wait a minute. He's like looking behind him. Was talking to somebody exactly. else here? And, and this is clear as it goes on. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all these wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and hand, handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. But listen to what he says. Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. Here it is again, Adam. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. And then, and then furthermore, then he said to him, if I have found favor with you, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, Gideon talking, if I have found favor with you, give me a, a sign that you're speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. God will be with him. God will accomplish the victory through him. This man, who, but my family is the weakest of all the clans, and I'm the youngest of all the weakest. Me? Yeah. Yes, you but valiant warrior. Because the linchpin is the fact that God says, I will be with you. Yeah. That is the key. That's it. Yep. That's it. This, this unexpected introduction from an angel reminds me of a, a New Testament character that is venerated maybe more than any other New Testament figure, and that's Mary. Um, an angel appeared to her and said, greetings to you who is highly favored. Um, and, and Mary is just like, what kind of greeting is this? And so who was Mary? She, she had no power. She was a teenager. She, she wasn't married yet. She, she brought nothing to the table on her own. And yet God chose her to be the mother of Jesus, yeah. to, to bring into this world, the Savior for us all. Yeah, that's right. And we, and we know that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy. They were not influential. Joseph is of the tribe of Judah, um, but, but they, but they had, had no wealth and influence to wield because it's interesting uh, in, in Luke chapter 2, after Jesus is born, eight days after he's born, they take him to the temple to circumcise him. Um, and then they follow, um, they, they follow the order of, um, of offering sacrifice for a firstborn outlined in Leviticus. And Leviticus gives a couple of options uh, for, for, the, for the offerings. Um, uh, you know, God says, offer this um, as, uh, for your firstborn, as an offering for your firstborn. If you can't afford it, then offer this. What's interesting is Mary and Joseph offer that second tier level of offering, which show, which is which is um, a pair of turtle dove, doves and, and two young pigeons, which shows us they didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, they had to take the discount rate. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and and that just shows that it's not about how much money you have. It's not about the s- social influence that you wield, what family you're from, these things that the world looks at. As, as being important, they are not on God's, God's radar. That's right. Um, he looks at the heart. He yes. saw David's heart. We see the heart of Mary as she sings her song of praise. Um, these people have a heart after God. Yeah, and we see this climax in the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
this is why this is why he's a stone of stumbling. One of the things I mentioned in the sermon on Sunday was that the high priesthood in the first century was illegitimate. It, it, it had ceased to be after the biblical order, after the order of Aaron, and now Rome appoints the high priest they want and for their interests. And so he serves as a liaison. And so you find, you find Jewish leadership into power, into wealth. Uh, in my personal devotion this morning, I was reading about the Pharisees who were lovers of money, right? Lovers of position, lovers of, of authority, love when people call them rabbi, love their, love their long robes. So they, 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 they were in this mode of wealth and power. And then comes the Messiah, who's the opposite of that. In every way, in every the way. opposite. He, he's, he's, his mom and dad are poor. He's poor. Um, he, he's meek. Um, he's, he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And when people try to press him and try to force him to be king, what does he do? He, he, he escapes and goes and spends all night in prayer, you know, away from everybody. Um, he, he, he's rebuking the religious, the established religious authority um, harshly. He's, he's not talking about, um, you know, violence to those who are in our way. Or political gain. Political gain, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, um, uh, wealth and influence. This is, this is the, the Messiah is supposed to come and to take us back to prominence and sovereignty. And the whole world is supposed to look at us and say, we're not touching them. Uh, because you know, look, look who they, who they are, um, but but instead, he he comes in humbly. His birthplace is the most humble. He's meek, and his and his and his ministry is is one of meekness yet power, but but a different kind of power. And then of course, and then again, his life climaxes in his death. The the lowest of lows goes Jesus. Um, you know, Paul, you know, we, we mention this often, Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself, first of all, by becoming a man. Then he humbled himself further by dying, but not just dying, dying on a cross, which was the lowest of the lows. But God has highly exalted him. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and placed the name upon him that is above every name. But in him, we see the climax of, God, of God's upside-down economy. Of, of what the world sees as power, influence. This is what we ought to be pursuing. This, this, is, this, is, power. this is power right here. No, it's, it's, flipped, it's flipped upside down. And you can see that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, all these things are opposite of what the world seeks after. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I, I encourage our listeners to read over Matthew chapter 5 because it is a, a different way to look at the world. Yes, it is. It is. Now, you know, it's, it's important to balance, though, um, you know, especially uh, as we go into some of Paul's writings in the New Testament. Will God use the rich and powerful, though? Yes, he will. He has, and he will. But, but I think the, the biblical point is that that's not his preferred method because that's not the normal experience of human beings. Right. So we, we, you know, the vast majority of us in all human history are not the rich and powerful. Um, but we can have hope because he, he uses us. Mm-hmm. Jesus was asked this question and, and he, he left a little bit of room for the rich and the powerful to get in. He says, it's really hard. It's, it's, more, it's more easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person yeah. to get into heaven. But all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. Yeah, that's right. So 
So he's not counting them out, but he's saying that if you're depending on your riches, if you love money, if you're trusted in your own power, this is not God's way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then there's a parable in Luke that... Um, the, uh, the, the, the this this man runs up to Jesus and says, "Jesus, tell my brother to share his, in, his the inheritance with me." Mm-hmm. And what does he say? He says, "Who made me a judge over that?" You know, what he's not saying is, "I don't." He's not saying, "I don't have control or sovereignty or God's power." Well, what he's saying is that that has nothing to do with the kingdom. You're concerned about wealth. You're concerned about possessions. You have the I'm wrong concern- priorities. I'm concerned about the kingdom of God. And, and of course, this is. You know the same conversation he has with the rich young ruler, who who is holding you know white knuckling all of his possessions. Um, and, but I've done all these things. No, you lack one thing. You you you're finding all of your hope, all of all of your all of your power, all of your influence w- with your with your possessions. Let go of those and come to me. But we see that that's a difficult thing to do. The rich yeah. young ruler goes away sad because he couldn't let go of it. Yeah. Through the New Testament, we see this elevation of the ordinary believer. In fact, many of them don't even get named. Um, we see this in the book of Acts, um, where when, when the pressure is put on, persecution starts breaking out, the, the church is scattered, and, and we don't get all of their names, but we are told that they, they go preaching the gospel, and they take the gospel out. So that's a, uh, it wasn't just the apostles that were going to take the gospel out. It wasn't just the, the leaders or the, the strong. No, it was the ordinary believer. Yeah. The ones who were sitting around the table talking about what Jesus did. Yeah. They were the ones to take the gospel out. That's right. uh, the book of Hebrews mentions martyrs that are after this when this persecution is really getting cranked up, they're, they're dying for their faith. They're being sawed in two. And, and the author of Hebrews says the world is not worthy of them. Yeah. But we don't get their names. Yeah. They're, they're ordinary men and women like yeah. you and me. That's right. And then when Paul finally gets to Rome in Acts 28, who, who is he greeted by? Brothers and sisters. So the, the gospel had reached the ends of the earth. Who planted the church in Rome? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, wasn't great, it wasn't Paul. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Paul. We think of him as the ultimate church planter, and he's trying to get to Rome. He didn't plant the church in Rome. No, he didn't. Who did? We don't know. But but God knows, and we'll we'll meet them in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, but but you know those who were scattered were were proclaiming the gospel um, and doing it in power. God's use of the ordinary man and woman. It's profound. Yep, we're talking about Paul. And, and he recognizes this pattern and, and highlights it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, he, he says in, in verse 27, he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were from noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why is that? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul understands that it is about the work 
of Christ in us. It is not what we bring to the table. That's right. And why why is that? And by the way, this is going to be a continuing conversation as we go through Acts. Um, so, you know, uh, to, in this particular uh, podcast, Adam and I just wanted to set sort of a biblical framework for this. But from, from an umbrella standpoint, why is this God's method? Because he gets the glory. He, he uses the weak. He uses the foolish. He uses those who wouldn't normally uh, be seen as ones to be influential or to speak in power so that they may be, not be the ones who are boasting in themselves, but they would boast in the Lord. Yeah. One last verse. Peter writes, you know, I think this is, this is where we started our conversation. Peter's bold yeah. proclamation in Acts chapter 4. Well, he writes later on as an old man, 1 Peter chapter 5, he's writing to encourage us, you and me, the regular believers. And he says this in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I think Peter is writing from personal experience. He was he was nobody. He was a fisherman. He was an ordinary guy. And and yet God lifted him up for a, a task, but it wasn't to bring glory to the name of Peter. It was to bring glory to the name of Jesus. standing in, in the temple confronted with the Sanhedrin and and as he's filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaiming a, a, a prophecy by Jesus is being fulfilled in Luke chapter 12 he says when they bring you in front of the rulers in front of the synagogues when they threaten you don't worry what you are to say because the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom in that hour and that is exactly what's happening here so the question for us is um, number one are you feeling ill-equipped? Um, are you feeling common? Are you feeling ordinary? You may be God's preferred method. How then is God using you? How are you presenting yourself to him as a, as a useful tool in his hands? And when you do that, you can trust that, I don't know what I'm going to say. What if, they, what if they ask this question? The Holy Spirit, this is a promise for us. It was a promise for the apostles. It's a promise for us. In those moments, the Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom and the words to say.